How's it going, Zach? It's going well, brother. I have a question for you. Okay, come on. Tell me, tell me if this phrase sounds familiar. Your attention, please. A fire has been reported in the building. <laughs> please evacuate immediately. You know what, Coop? That's a fresh wound, honestly. It's a fresh wound. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. So today, I, I was decided, I went and worked out. I'm feeling productive. I read. You look I, great, by the way. Well, thank you. I worked out, and I was going to cook some, just some red meat. Yeah, I mean, yes. Why not? Why not? It's just a man. You're day. a man. Like, I'm let a man. Me wait, let me look at you. Man. Thank you. Yeah, no so clown I costume get, today. I get home, and I start cooking my meat. I get out my cast iron skillet, and I put it on there, and I put some vinegar oil on there, and just... And I just, I let it rip, man. Come on. And so I, I, I turn around and then I look back and it is smoky. And like the house is Only you filling, forest fire. filling up with smoke. And I'm like, shoot, I need to go open a window. So I go open the door and I'm going to open a window. Is the fan on? Not yet. Yep. Okay. And so that was my problem. Yep. And, and all of a sudden the fire alarm's going off. Yes. Everyone's flooding out of their houses because we live in like a big complex right, where like right. a lot of people live. And all the buildings are attached. Right. So if a fire alarm going off in one building, it goes off yep. in all of the buildings. Yep. Yep. So everyone's out looking at me. I'm walking around all these people with an oven mitt in one hand and the spatula in the other. <laughs> and so everyone knows it's me. Yeah. But the, here's the thing. My, my food wasn't ready yet. So everyone's out of their home. I'm the problem, but I opened all the windows and kept cooking. <laughs> you savage. <laughs> because I'm like, I can't stop no. now. And so I just opened the windows. I'm like, it's not as smoky anymore. So I'm all just right. going to keep going. Security guy comes to turn off the alarm. Yeah. And he like pulls up and walks past my, my windows and then like comes back and looks in. He's like, is this your fault? <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir. And he was like. All right. <laughs> and just walked off and went. <laughs> and all of a sudden it turned off and everyone went back in their house and I just never left. And yeah. I, I kept cooking. So it was just more of a mild inconvenience on your ears. Yeah, it was just a bummer. Yeah. But here's the deal, Coop. I, I hear it's familiar for you too. Yes, Zach. Actually, um, <laughs> it is. I think literally three days ago. Right. Um, I was cooking with uh, the same cast iron pan hmm. on the same stove. Hmm. Using the same fan in the off position in our uh, living room kitchen area. Mm-mm. And uh, I, too, was greeted by the warm welcome of whoever the lady is. That's she st- sounds like the TSA lady. Yes. At airports. She's like, thanks for telling me that there was yeah, a fire reported. You. There wasn't, but thanks for telling me. I mean, I appreciate the gesture. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I uh, actually had just finished working out. And I was cooking chicken breast. Mm. I had, like, four chicken breasts I just got back. Um, and like I had chicken breasts from the store, so I was like, I'll cook them. And so I was cooking them and like, I was lo- like me looking at the stove. There's not a lot of smoke. Like right. it doesn't look, no, bad. It, I can no. see the pan clearly until you turn around until I put the pan down. Like I leave the pan and I turn and I just can't barely see the window. Right. And that's uh, when you know you're in trouble. That's when I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> and the fire alarm started going off and I was in the same thing where I was like, well, like I like, I need to finish the job. Right. You can't half cook chicken. Exactly. And so luckily enough for me, there was no one else in the whole building. Like, right. I don't know why everyone was on not, why no one was there, but it was me and one other friend, Andrew Stone. Shout mm, out, Andrew Stone. Shout out. He comes running. Like, like, I open the door. I'm like opening windows. I know there's not a fire. Right. He's like coming in like red face. He's frazzled. <laughs> like one of those like panting, like, like beads of sweat for me at his temples. <laughs> and he's like. 
dude, is everything okay? I mean, like genuinely like worried and concerned for me. He wasn't like his, his behavior was not out of what should have been happening right. if there was a fire. Right. Like, his behavior was appropriate. We've just but, been here before. But me, I was like, just, yeah. I'm like, Hey man, what's up? He's like, dude, was it you? I, I was cooking too. I thought it might've been me. I'm like, nah, dude, it's me. We know. <laughs> I know it's me, man. He's like, okay. I was like, I'm gonna call security for on campus security and tell right. him what happened. And so, uh, basically in one week, you and I have set the fire alarm off twice. So separately, he, not even in the house together or cooking together. No, there's two variables that could play into this. It's either the pan one or it's the cooks with the pan or it's, we didn't have the fan on. That could be and the other I say reason. we go with that one. Let's go with that one. Here we go. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funberg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. Coop, how are we? Doing good. The studio is intact. Nothing burned down here. You know, we almost had a fire issue. There was no fire. However, this podcast is fire it's gonna be fire so rate and review and share it with your friends we've Tell got everyone a good one today coop first of all this is marvin daniels the executive director of the hope center in kansas city but you're gonna think it's mufasa his voice is simba unbelievable you know who you unbelievable are. but this one is really special for me coop uh he's a childhood friend's dad he's like one of those guys you look at and you're like that friend's dad is just cool because he's huge yeah. has a such a deep voice and like you know when he's at the like children's basketball game you know he's like his voice is just booming like he's not the coach but he should be yes like the coach is asking him what should be done because his voice is so and we thought your voice was loud i mean this guy can boom marvin daniels is a servant he loves people he wants people to know they they're loved by him and he wants to provide hope to Kansas City. He's yeah. working with with kids that are are struggling to find their next day or their next place to eat and next place to stay and he's loving those kids and he is continually transforming the Kansas City area to look more like Jesus and it's incredible and he's he just started he was telling me that he they're trying to raise money for a housing project in wow. Kansas City. He's changing the culture up there. If you're interested, check it out thehopecenter.com. Uh, donate, help him out. Yeah. Uh, he's doing some crazy cool things, but in today's episode he talks about a leader's greatest Cool. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it because it's so good. Yeah, any and guesses? I, I have, any guesses? I was gonna say actually, I have a few guesses. Yeah, let you me hear. Tell it. me if I'm right or wrong. Okay, I might. Um, first guess, flashlight. Mm, no. Second guess, um, multi-tool. Mm, close, but no. Third guess, and my most confident guess, a pen. No, but if you are carrying a pen, let us know. We'd love to know we how love it's going. Hearing some people actually sent in literally just pen check. Yeah, they'll pen check us over the phone. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so we'd love DM that. us on Instagram or whatever, and we will send you back a picture of us holding our pen. We, we want to be held accountable. And if you don't know what we're talking about, check out our New Year New Me with Zach and Coop yes. earlier on the podcast. But anyway, Marvin Daniels, a leader's greatest tool. You got to wait till the end to find out what it is. Here we go. It's Marvin Daniels. Awesome. Well, Mr. Marvin, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited. I want you to start by introducing yourself. Who are you? Where did you come from? Tell your story. And what are you up to now in Kansas City? Well, thanks a lot, Zach. I'm Marvin Daniels. I'm the executive director of the Hope Center, which is a community youth development organization for the last 20 years that have existed on the east side of Kansas City, Missouri, focusing on the needs of those who are both the working poor as well as those who are um, what they would consider lower middle class and those who are 
are struggling, right. you know, just to make it on a day to day basis. But with that collective community together, we we exist to do two things. Uh, the first thing is to provide uh, programming to help build the assets uh, of our children, youth, and families. And then the, the second thing is to provide hope, be a dispenser of hope, so that mm -hmm. we can see the hopeless become hopeful and the hopeful to become healthy and the healthy to become helpful. It's amazing. And all this generate as a kid from Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. um, growing up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York, and section called Bed-Stuy. Um, had the opportunity to have both parents. Um, dad was working. I trained tremendously all the time, actually. Right. So he wasn't actually engaged in my day-to-day -day basis of living. My mother was. My grandparents had the opportunity to speak in our lives um, during those times. And so uh, it was really a, a unique, un first of all, New York's a unique place. Right. Anyway, but it just was a unique training ground for me to continue to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. You're growing up in New York. What was that kind of training ground like? What did you learn? What did you glean from growing up in New York? Yeah, one of the things you learn about poverty anyway is that um, when you're among others who are like you, you don't see anything uniquely different from it. Right. It's only when you step out of your community of poverty and you see other communities that you begin to recognize your lack. Uh, you begin to recognize some of your deficits. And so mm -hmm. I remember... Uh, in elementary school, I would be sitting down at a desk and I would daydream watching the planes take off at Kennedy Airport mm -hmm. and would always wonder, where are they going? You know, I'm wondering where those planes are right. going. And that just started for me um, the opportunity to dream different from what I've been experiencing. And so I was a kid that would, you know, um, on one side, I'm hanging out with the guys doing the wrong thing. And then on the other side, I'm running to the library and diving into a book to escape from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's, that's what really helped excel me in school and a love for reading and a love for exploration. And then, of course, at that point in time in my teen years, God got a hold of me. At least he s stepped in and interrupted some things right. for me, put the right people um, in place in my life. And, and as a result of that, I was able to sit uh, heart to heart to, uh, with a friend of mine who really introduced me to who Jesus was and and is and and could be in my life, right. and that just jettisoned me to a different perspective on how I ought to live, and um and that brought me into my my college years at a HBCU called Virginia mm -hmm. State University, um and in that university is where I had the opportunity to meet a strong uh, Christian advisor named. Uh, Norma Anderson, who was, I consider my first theologian. Right. Uh, she was one who was serious about the Word of God, challenged us to be serious about the Word of God, to understand our skills, our gifts, our talents, to share our faith, to live out our faith. Um, she was key to my development as a believer. Mm -hmm. And then God surrounded me with some good brothers and sisters in the faith to join me on that journey mm -hmm. uh, that launched me out. And so uh, it was from that journey that allowed me to, to go back to New York and to uh, graduate with a graphic arts degree and a right. journalism degree and to huh. dive into uh, journalism with Channel 4. And I was the special effects photographer and layout artist uh, for several years. Hmm. And, and then when I had the privilege of, of volunteering back in my old neighborhood to teach photography on a Saturday mornings to some junior high kids, God used that to change my heart. And you got to understand, I had a heart for the Lord. But secondly, 
my heart was for graphic arts and journalism. Right. right. But God used that to really turn my heart towards young people. And, mm. and as he nurtured that seed that was built in that relationship, next thing I, I found myself doing was uh, being a part of the saying goodbye to Channel 4 and saying hello to Young Life and, and uh, Covenant House to Teen Runaways and Teen Prostitutes. And mm. uh, from Covenant House to Teen Runaways and Prostitutes to seminary training at Nazarene Theological Seminary and Alliance Theological Seminary. And then uh, working for the Salvation Army mm. as their program director, uh, which was a, a tremendous experience in the Henry Horner Rockwell Gardens uh, community of Chicago on the west side to then finding myself in Boston, where I was the violence prevention coordinator for the Boston Public Schools and church planning. Mm. Um, I shouldn't say church planning, but youth uh, planning a youth church out of a multicultural congregation that was speaking 18 different languages and representing 25 different nations wow. to return into Chicago to serve as a youth pastor on the south side and associate pastor uh, to serving with Compassion International as their Midwest regional facilitator to be able to build and develop uh, youth development and child development practices in 15 cities and um, seven states and mm. then joining the staff Kids Across America camps and you know. for the last 12 years and now here as executive director of the Hope Center. So it was it's a amazing. wonderful journey. And in those intervals, right. I was able to meet my wife, Angie, who worked with me at the Salvation Army. And mm. She's been a part of my life now for 29 years, five children later. And um, we're on this journey together. It's amazing. If you know Miss Angie, you love her. And <laughs> you couldn't help but to love her. That's right. But it's so cool to hear your full stories. I knew you as the can or the KA director and then now moving to Kansas City as the Hope Center. And you work for a place called the Hope Center. Yes. But then hearing the background of your story, where you came from, where you grew up, all the places you've worked, it seems like a common denominator is hope yeah. and giving people hope and leading people towards hope and the one true hope, which is Jesus Christ. That's right. So first of all, before we dive into servant leadership and how to serve, what it looks like, talk about hope. Yeah. What does it mean to have hope? Where do you find your hope? And just unpack that. Yeah. So when we talk about hope, you know, God vectored that whole aspect of, of the reality of hope defined by Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, which simply says, when hope is deferred, the heart grows sick. Mm. But a dream that is fulfilled or realized is becomes like a tree of life. And so for me, it was being able to find that when you are a dispenser of hope and people are recipients of hope, that it begins to deal with areas of their lives that have caused them great sickness. For instance, if I'm hopeless, that I have no value of life, my own personal life. And if I don't have any value for my own personal life that I have no value for anybody else's life. Right. Uh, when you're hopeless and you're in the midst of uh, seeing yourself in poverty and you find that there's no escape, there's no way out. And so you continue to reinforce your own poverty. When you're hopeless about um, your family members and you recognize that my family is chaotic and, and my family is, is either uh, fragmented or of course, uh, as most people would say, you know, um, I got a dysfunctional family. Well, when those things happen and you don't have hope that, you know, you have a loving father or a loving mother or loving siblings that come together, and what you begin to do is you begin to see family. Um, you look for family elsewhere, mm. you know, in other places, or, or family has no meaning to you. Right. When you lose hope personally and you don't have a vision 
or purposeful when you wake up in the morning on a day-to-day basis, then you walk life aimlessly. You, know, you look for people to give you hope and validate who you are and define who you are mm. and tell you who you are. In other words, you've entrusted to people what really belongs to the guy who's already defined you. Right. That's why when we, what hope does is hope tells people who are looking to find themselves, it says, stop looking. Here I am. I'll take you to the person that can truly define you. Mm. And it's God himself. He created you, therefore he can tell you who you are. Right. And in the essence of that is servant leadership. Mm-hmm. As a leader, you're you're serving people. I think the ultimate way you can serve people is by acting as a guide towards Jesus Christ and as a guide towards hope. So at, when you look at leadership as a whole, you're leading the Hope Center, you're leading at KAA, you're leading in Boston and New York. What does it look like? How do you define servant leadership? Yeah. What is that? You know, we live in a culture today where you have thousands of titles. Right. About it's kind of leadership. a buzzword. It's the whole ongoing buzzword. But I love for how I've taught leadership, particularly in the role of servant leadership, um, was living it out. And so servant leadership, by definition, is the towel in the basin. Mm. Is what Jesus did in John chapter 13 that helps individuals understand that, hey, I'm going to display to you my fullest extent of my love. And then he knelt down and took a towel, formed, put it around his waist, and began to wash each of his disciples' feet. Mm. And as you can go and, and as you picture him washing his disciples' feet, every feet that he's washing, every foot that he's washing has a story attached to it. Peter has his story. Matthew has his story. You know, we, we continue. Luke has his story and on and on. And uniquely enough, Zach, what you find yourself at is the feet of Judas, in which Jesus already knew what he was going to do in his betrayal of him and yet washes his feet. Mm-hmm. But here's the power of that. Once he finished, he says, now that I have washed your feet, you go and do likewise to one another. That's the power of servant leadership. Servant leadership is about the towel in the basin. You always will display how well you lead based upon how many feet you wash. Mm. And so when we talk about servant leadership, we're not talking about who's in charge or who's in front. While we know those things have its place, but it's really who are you willing to care for? Now, who are you willing to serve? Who are you willing to lead? Who are you willing to follow? Who are you willing to uplift? Who are you willing to build up? Uh, who are you not looking to identify the deficits of, but do you see their assets? Right. Now, as we were looking at young people, it was not what we see. It was always what could be. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we, we would see things in young people that they couldn't see in themselves and then lead them towards that. Right. That's the power of servant leadership. Servant leadership recognizes that rather you call, I'm called to, um, to take people on mission trips or called to wash toilets, make them clean for people to utilize. Mm-hmm. Uh, servant leadership always looks at individuals beyond yourself. And so you, you, it's the old adage of putting Jesus first, of course, but it's what, Kids Across America, Canicut Camp's mantra is is, is the I'm um, third principle. Right. You know, God first, other second, and I'm third. It's being able to truly say, now I don't want that just to be a, a mantra on my, my mantle, on my wall. I want that to be 
but my life speaks. And so in order for me to really be a servant of others, then I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and serve him mm-hmm. so that as a result in Mark that he tells us is that no servant is greater than his master. Right. And so we, we model from the master uh, who have served us well, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Well, in return, we get a chance to take that ransom and serve others with mm-hmm. it. with our lives. So servant leadership is based upon is is leaders who lead through service. And it's not just service projects. It's the surrendering of your life on behalf of another. Mm. That's amazing. I I love that there's so much there to unpack, but I want to go into taking someone to a place that you believe that they can get to. Not necessarily seeing someone you're leading at face value, but seeing what they could be. That's right. So as a leader, how do we get in the mindset of seeing people like that? Because pe- to be frank and pe- be honest, people are frustrated. Yes. People are hard to work yes. with. So how can I switch my mindset from seeing someone as that person right there to what this person could be? And the first thing we have to do is, and this is very difficult in this culture in the United States of America, but you got to stop seeing people as projects and products. Mm. Uh, the value of of people is that they're always in progress, in process. Right. You know, and so when you recognize people in process, including your own self in process, then you recognize it requires time. You know, that people are more crockpot-centered right. and less microwavable. You know, we recognize that in order for you, and for me personally, it was because I was that kid. You know, it was that somebody else had to see something in me Mm. to lead me to where I am today, that there was investments poured out into me, that that I didn't just all of a sudden was born a leader, you know, leaders are formed. Um, and, And the formation of my leadership has the tentacles of uh, many hands upon my life, male and female, uh, young men, older men, young women, older women, uh, my children. There's others who've who've helped shaped and formed who I am. You know, the identity that God has given to me was shaped and molded by those He's placed in my life, and those are individuals who are who have been. You know, a blessing in my life and been great mentors in my life, but there are also individuals who've been my greatest challenges. Those individuals who didn't want the very best for me, they helped shape me too. Right. You know, and so when we talk about taking the time of seeing somebody, it's being able to recognize that everybody that we see are malleable. They have the ability to see them shape. That's why we become what Proverbs thirteen twelve says, trees of life when you get hope. Because in to become a tree, it has to be some planting. Right. There has to be some nourish nourishing of the the land. Uh, the seed has to fall on on the right type of soil. Uh, there has to be watering that takes place in order to really reproduce a strong tree that's able to weather significant storms and deepen its roots, it requires time. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and so we see people based on time 
and we begin to recognize that I may only be just one of the tentacles, one of the people that is involved in somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to find joy in that and, and be joyful in that we be, get to play a part in that. So I want to go back to something you said earlier in your definition of that people have a story. Yeah. I think that's a that's something that we miss. I want you to talk about that more is that a lot of times, say we're in a debate, we had a class like this yes. this morning with yes. situational ethics. A lot of times we lower people to just an issue yeah. rather than looking past their face and saying, this person has a story yes. that creates those, those ends. That's right. Talk about that. What does it mean to look past that and to see people's story? Yeah. And so you recognize that everybody comes from a place. You know, we, we all are, what we can guarantee is we're all born in sin, mm-hmm. uh, but we're not all born into a, a, a and, that, and that birth being born into sin allows us to recognize that our, our birth places, that is the location by which we are born, are all a variety of places. And so everybody don't have the opportunity to experience the same experiences. And so when you talk about stories, you're talking about a person's experiences. You're talking about a person's personal ecosystem. You talk about you know a, a person's um, personal encounters um, that they've had. You know, mm-hmm. you've talking about the the person's events, what they've experienced, and um, the opportunities that they've had. And, and so, a story in a person's life, when you begin to recognize that their faith was shaped by those experiences, um, those edu- his education, his, uh, his personal ecosystem, the yeah. people that have been a part of their lives, you know, the events and activities they are. All those things make up an individual who comes to draw a conclusion about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, for instance, one of our, our young people, the young men, um, he has a struggle with authorities. But the reason why he has a struggle with authorities is not because he's a, a kid that just disrespects authority, but every authority figure that has been in his life has been abusive to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a father who's an authority figure that abused him, a mother who's an authority figure in his life threw boiling hot water upon him and abused him. Mm-hmm. He had teachers that called him names and told them what he could never achieve or do. Verbally abusing him, mentally abusing him. Yeah, police individuals uh, from the police force who constantly um, would would, um, spend more and more time uh, ridiculing him, you know, uh, chastising him, uh, beating him uh, for no reasons except for the fact that he exists. Uh, uh, All the authorities that he had in his life that he's been surrounded by, constantly abused him. So when you come up, when he sees me, here's another authority figure, all of a sudden I see that at first as rebellion, when in essence what I see is an individual who's been victimized, mm-hmm. who needs healing to be able to see a figure of authority that actually loves him right. and can point him to one who sovereignly loves and cares for him, but for him, that might be a, a difficult trip to take right. because you're going to talk to me about a, a God that's invisible to me when I look at his people who are visible to me and they haven't displayed that type of care 
and love and intimacy for me. And so for us, you know, for me and the work we do, we recognize that it's, it's one step at a time of right. loving people well mm. in order to get them to be able to trust, uh, trust the messenger mm. so that they can then see that the message is trustworthy. Right. But the messenger has to be trustworthy mm. in order for the message to be trusted. Right. Practically, how can the messenger become trustworthy? Well, it takes time for a messenger to be, number one, is the messenger has to um, be truthful to his word. Mm. Uh, it's his lifestyle, how he models his lifestyle, uh, how he displays love, right. how he displays affection. Uh, they watch him. You know, the messenger got to be a witness. So, I mean, he's got to be visible is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. So the messenger is visible. Right. Uh, and so the messenger also has to be one that watches what comes out of his or her mouth. Mm. Um, the messenger has to watch how he actually touches an individual to be able to connote or demonstrate his care for him or her. Mm. The messenger has to be able to invite individuals into his own life and home and watch how he leads and loves at home. Right. The messenger himself has to be one that displays forgiveness because he's been forgiven. The messenger has to be the one that lives out the message mm. in order for him to be an authentic messenger of the message. Right. You know, so for me, I mean, we're not perfect, right? So we recognize that, but not being perfect is not an excuse mm -hmm. for for uh, doing what is right. Right. You know, so I have to, every single day, when I walk into the Hope Center to encounter the programs where our children are, uh, I'm greeting them. I'm greeting them with a smile. I don't care what kind of day I had. Mm -hmm. I'm greeting them with a smile. You know, I'm loving on them, I'm hugging them, I'm telling them how special they are, how beautiful they look, how precious they are. You know, every word that comes out of my mouth is going to be affirming and encouraging. Hmm. Then they watch how I, I deal with my own children, how I speak to my children, how I admonish my children and encourage my children. Then they watch how I interact with my wife and how we engage together. Then they watch as a boss, how I treat my employees, the way I talk to them, the way we interact with each other, uh, the way we can joy, have a joyful exchange with each other, um, how we resolve conflict mm -hmm. with one another, um, with how we can say sorry to each other when we say something that is offensive or offended one another, uh, how we can walk in humility, how we can actually display what what it means to be proud of someone without being prideful, mm -hmm. uh, what it means to give, even if it's just your very last so that somebody else can have. Uh, these things on a day-to-day -day basis is what we're on display to do. And it's not just for the children, it's for their parents, it's for grandparents, it's for uncles and aunts, it's, it's for our neighbors, it's for the businessmen running businesses in the neighborhood. It's for everyone to see uh, the, the beauty that we have that we see in our community. Garbage or paper that is laying on the ground that they see us pick up mm. and discard because we value the beauty of our community. 
um, to close a neighbor's gate, to pick up a neighbor's trash, to put something away for a neighbor, to escort a neighbor across the street safely. All the things that we get a chance to put into practice, which, by the way, uh, is already summarized for us in Scripture in Romans 12, 9 through 21. We see it in, in Matthew's Beatitudes. We see right. it in Ephesians, what it means to live out the fruit of the Spirit. All those characteristics, all those attributes, we get a chance to... God gives those things to us because he recognizes that it's the messenger that is critical to his message. Because mm-hmm. if I don't see a transformed messenger, then why are you telling me about a transformed message? Because if that message can't transform the messenger, what good is it mm-hmm. to me? Yeah, that's amazing. I think leaders have to understand that people are their greatest asset. Absolutely. People are your greatest asset. And if you're going to use them for good, it's not transactional and you have to, you have to nurture it and you yes. have to plan it. You have to nurture it, just like what you're talking about. Talk about that. People are your greatest asset. Yeah. They're not products. Right. Uh, if we can just remind ourselves that, you know, uh, oftentimes in both, unfortunately, secular and the sacred fields, um, we treat people as if they're products, you know, or that they're just engines that reproduce something for us. Um, or others treat them as just their numbers, you know, or um, if you want a paycheck, this is what you got to do. Uh, people feel value when they recognize that they are contributors and attributors to the things uh, that they are involved in. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, it's our mission. You know, we're more missional based. Uh, but for other companies and corporations, um, it's the same principle because people are people. Right. People want to know that they matter and what they do matters. Uh, and the only way that happens is when we create an environment where people feel value for what they do. Um, and, and it's important because, again, when you talk about vocation and you talk about jobs, it's still people have value for what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, just like school and individuals who are in school, they spend seven to eight hours of their day in one location. Right. Same thing at, in our vocations. is You spend eight to ten hours of your life in a certain atmosphere, mm. should that atmosphere not be conducive to the identity of one's humanity? Right. You, know, um, you don't want to be in the conditions where it, you feel more inhumane as if you don't matter as a person nor are you seen as a person mm. uh, that, that matters to what you do. Right. So practically, as we wrap up this portion, practically you talked about greeting people, encouraging people, admonishing people, uplifting people. How can practically leaders live this out and nurture people and grow in this aspect of their leadership? What we do is, just as an example, and we're not saying that we do everything correct or right, but this is what I do in order to emphasize the role of servant leadership. Um, I'm the first one in the office. I empty every garbage can that is in every office. Mm. I make sure the lights are on, the blinds are open. I may light a scented candle. Mm-hmm. I make sure that um, I leave notes on every staff member's desk, you know, throughout the week to let them know how much I appreciate them. We have a, a bag 
that I put for every single name of our of staff members that are there. And every week I'm putting something in the bag, one of their favorite snacks, right. you know, one of their favorite drinks that they like to enjoy. Uh, so that they know that without a shadow of a doubt, that Marvin Daniels values our presence here. Mm-hmm. I'm making sure that we have PTO time. You know, um, there are times we can go seven days a week. One of the things the staff don't mind going seven days a week when we're an organization that provides five weeks off. Right. Uh, we, we value that. You know, we make sure people get time away and time off, time that is resting. I have a staff person right now that'll be gone for 12 days because he had an opportunity to go to Israel. Mm-hmm. And we validated the fact that he would go to Israel. And, and the team, as a result, say that we'll pick up the slack on his responsibilities so that he can have the opportunity to have this experience. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? It's because they were served and they're being served. And as a result of them being served, they have the ability to practice serving. Mm -hmm. And so it's become contagious is that not only are we served, but now we get the privilege of serving each other. And we see it as a privilege to serve one another, mm. not as a mandate, not as a job responsibility, right. but as a privilege. Mm. Uh, so we create an atmosphere that says this is an atmosphere of care. Everyone's valuable here. And as a result, this is going to be uh, one of the places that people enjoy working and serving um, because we've created an atmosphere that people recognize that I want to be at a place that values who I am and strengthens me as an individual. Mm, that's amazing. I want to just give you the mic as we wrap up. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice would you give to the 20-year-old listening to this right now who's unsure where they're at? They just need hope, honestly. What would you tell that person? I, w- I would tell them that my old 20-year-old self would remind my 20-year-old self, that is, that hope is always on the way. Um, and it surrounds us even when we can't see it. And so we'd be patient about the people that we're looking for to be engaged in our lives. But this is the key lesson that I've learned. If you don't see an example, then you be one. Mm -hmm. Um, That's number one. Number two is the opportunity to recognize that every Timothy needs a Paul and every Paul needs a Timothy. And so I would once again find myself going to sit underneath the old folk that we say just to hear their stories, to, to, to let myself and my heart and my mind listen again to those individuals who have been places that I haven't gone yet mm. and let their stories begin to wash mine and to reveal mine for me. That, that 20-year-old young man, I would be so quick to criticize. I I would do what James admonished. I would be more quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That is amazing. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your words. I pray that as we leave here, we're reminded that people aren't products and that people are are to be stewarded and they're your greatest asset. And I think you're a a great example of that. So thank you for, for sharing your wisdom with us and taking time to do this. Zach, this was a privilege. And for all those who are out there listening to this, 
I believe me, the most transformational tools you have will be the towel and the basin.